fake, fake, fakety fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, and then talk about the law with my friend Caitlin. <laughs> I feel like that was the least decorative introduction <laughs> you've done so far. <laughs> yes. There was no there was no flowery exposition, just the law. So how are you, Caitlin? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been stuck in this like Groundhog Day loop for almost a year now. So that's how I am. Just wishing to get out of it. I mean, it is weird because it's we're, it's every time we ask this, it's the same thing, right? <laughs> it's like, get us out of this house. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of happy I have a dog. I know everyone else is getting dogs now. I think just the excuse to have something to do, really. But like... At least he gets me out because I have the excuse of having to like leave the house and walk for an hour with him on every day. Yeah. But other than that, it's the same fucking four gray walls. Yeah. And I have my kids, which, you know, but it's the same thing. Uh, my son is really obsessed with Minecraft right now and uh, has to tell me about it all the time. <laughs> but it's cute. He has hobbies. That's fun. I will say that we appeared on a show. I think we could have talked about it last week, but uh, it kind of happened right before we recorded last week, and I also completely forgot. But we were on Harbinger Society Presents, which is through the Harbinger Media Network, and we were on episode 7. You can also find the teaser to that on uh, Andre Goulet, who does the Harbinger Society. Uh... He uh, put it on his own show, which is Unpacking the News. The podcast that we did uh, with Andre is for his uh, bonus content for, for his patrons through the Harbinger Media Network. So we've promoted Harbinger on the show before, and uh, you should go and check that out. I had fun doing that interview. Did you have fun doing that interview? Yeah, it was pretty good. We also got to pretend like we were on an airplane, so... <laughs> Bringing us out of that COVID funk for like two <laughs> two minutes. Yeah. But it was nice. So uh, thank you, Andre, for that opportunity. And please go check out uh, all the shows that are on the Harbinger Media Network. And uh, go check out our, our segment. And with that, the Imperial Roundup. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. This is what happened on the Rebel from January 25th to January 29th. Sheila Gunn Reed is chillin' at the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mirror, Alberta. That is refusing to lock down during a global pandemic. Not only does Ezra encourage people to travel to this location, but Sheila brags that people are driving hours to come. Make sure you've left yourself a little bit of time if you are coming, because this place has been busy since they opened from morning till night, people are coming from Calgary, people are coming from Edmonton. Ezra gets mad at police, asking them if they signed up to arrest business owners, as if owning a business automatically makes you a law-abiding citizen, then concludes by saying only three people have died from a restaurant during the pandemic. 
the grand total across all of Canada in every restaurant and bar and retail. The grand total, Sheila, three deaths, three across this entire country for the last year, three. And the, the risk is so low, there is a greater risk driving to a restaurant that you'll get killed in a car accident, God forbid. And even though I could not substantiate that claim or where Ezra got that number, it's also kind of nonsensical if you think about it. An outbreak might happen at a restaurant and eventually kill people when it spreads in the community, even when none of the people who eventually die from that spread went to that restaurant. Ezra spends an entire episode complaining about a liberal policy which aims to reduce harmful content online, including child pornography, terrorist recruitment, and also hate speech. Ezra, though, only focuses on the hate speech part of the proposed legislation since he's afraid it will be targeted towards right-wing people like himself. It isn't clear yet how the government will be doing this, but it doesn't stop Ezra from playing that out-of-context clip of Stephen Gilbo talking about handing out licenses for internet users, which he does every time this conversation occurs on his show. We, 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 we would ask that they have a license. Yes, yes, yes. Yes! Ezra's mad about Trudeau's new policy to place non-essential travelers in hotels for 14 days upon returning to Canada at their own expense. Ezra thinks this is too harsh, but it is harsh so that it will deter people from non-essential travel out of the country in the first place, which I think is probably a good thing during a global pandemic. Ezra argues this new policy is likely Trudeau compensating for his poor job regarding the vaccine rollout. Ezra criticizes Trudeau for the slow release of vaccines, although he needs to stipulate to his disease-spreading audience that he isn't necessarily in favor of the vaccines. Why are we doing this now? Well, we're doing it now to keep you in a state of fear. And we're doing it now because Justin Trudeau has absolutely bungled the one job he has, which is to distribute vaccines to the provinces. Now, I'm skeptical of vaccines. I think that now that we know that the disease is not, uh, it's a 99% plus recovery rate for people under 70, uh, I'm less in panic to get a vaccine. And the idea of rushing a vaccine to market makes me a little nervous. Although it's not come up on Ezra's show, Rebel News received a cease and desist from Dominion Voting Systems after Kian visited their headquarters in Toronto. Kian claimed that Dominion Voting shared office space with the Tide Foundation, which is loosely affiliated with George Soros. Yesterday, we broke some pretty stunning news standing outside of this very building. If you recognize it, it is the headquarters of Dominion Voting in Toronto, Canada. Why they're headquartered here? Well, that's a great question to ask. The story we broke yesterday is that they were sharing an office floor, not just an office building, but an office floor with George Soros's Tides Foundation here in Canada. And that therefore Soros was possibly giving Dominion marching orders to rig the American election. Ezra also discusses receiving a warning from YouTube about their election fraud coverage, where he denied they even talked about it. However, on January 29th, Ezra is still trying to claim some kind of election fraud. And there were moments that night where I allowed my heart to hope when the results in key states, whether it was Georgia or Pennsylvania, showed that Donald Trump was set to win. And then strange things started to happen including vote counting being stopped, huge caches of votes being found. 
You're not allowed to talk about that or you'll be deplatformed by the social media companies. More likely that Ezra is worried Dominion is going to sue Rebel News like they are currently suing Rudy Giuliani for $1.3 billion. Ben Weingarten is on to discuss his new show, which is apparently about liberal bias in the news. Ben talks about how the news media failed to appropriately criticize Obama, and I agree, but for different reasons. Ben talks about how the media focused on non-controversies, like how Obama wore a tan suit. This is a media that, remember, said that the only scandal in the Obama administration was the fact that he wore a tan suit to a press conference once. But this criticism of Obama came from right-wing news sources, like Fox News. Not surprising that Ben, who wrote a book promoting conspiracy theories about Ilhan Omar, is now misremembering the history of news coverage regarding Barack Obama to promote his own news show about how it is liberal media that is biased and wrong. Ben also argues that President Biden is merely a figurehead and that Kamala Harris is the real president. He claims that Biden will step down after two years, thus giving Harris the ability to be president for 10 years. It's very clear that they are paving a path where down the road they may push him aside, essentially, in some sort of semi-dignified fashion. And there's been some talk out there about the fact that if you look at the Constitution, a vice president could technically serve 10 years. If Joe Biden served as president two years and one day and then stepped down and Kamala Harris assumed the seat, she could then run for the next two consecutive terms and potentially be president for 10 years. So Ben also claims that Biden's job is to appear as a moderate, hiding the true leftist radical agenda being offered by Harris. If only this were actually true, but sadly, it's not likely that Harris will lead America towards a Marxist utopia anytime soon. And that is the week. Radical Marxist Kamala Harris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All week, Ezra spent most of the time talking about legal fights that Rebel itself is engaged in. We already think that Rebel is not really a news outlet, but considering that every single story this week on their main program was about themselves or their own initiatives to try and undermine laws to protect people during the global pandemic, it is hard to see Rebel as anything but a self-promoting right-wing activist organization rather than a self-described news company. On Monday the 25th, Ezra began the week by highlighting four cases of censorship that occurred in four days against the rebel. The first, which we already discussed uh, last episode, was that they received a $3,000 fine for violating third, par third party election laws, that they are going to spend likely over $100,000 in legal fees uh, to fight the constitutionality of those laws. I will frame this right now that I don't think any of these four examples are uh, censorship. <laughs> yeah. Like even this one, it's more a matter of a disagreement over whether this is a, a, a constitutional law or not. Because I don't know if having a limit on spending during an election is itself an act of censorship. Well, in a sense, it's actually giving like equal voice to certain certain parties. Right, it's not privileging those who can spend a shit ton of money and those who yeah. cannot, yeah. Because if it's free speech completely, you know, unfettered and uncontrolled, yeah. <laughs> then what you're going to probably have is actually not free speech because we're going to have those that are able to 
employ their types of capital that they have to have more of a voice and have more of a say. And that's kind of why you need laws like this. So <laughs> it, just, it, it actually promotes like not even just freedom of speech, but equal speech, right? Right. I'm pretty sure there's a proper term for that, but I'm not, I'm not thinking <laughs> of it right now. Yes. I mean, like, or we can have uh, what's happening in America right now after Citizens United, where now you have all these weird hidden super PACs that can just throw unlimited money at campaigns. So, Yeah. The next item in their four-item censorship list is that they received a threat of litigation letter from the Ontario Attorney General for an image they used to promote their Fight the Fines initiative. Now, I'm not going to get into why, whether or not that's censorship now or not, because we're going to cover that in a few seconds. But I want to highlight that it was accounted for in the list of four things in four days. The next item was that the RCMP visited Kian at his house to politely inform him about the laws surrounding sensitive documents and whether it is it's legally allowed for him to release them. <laughs> I don't think we got into talking about this last week or not. If we did, it was only briefly. But Kian had a story that we covered on a live stream. So for those who, who don't know, we I've been doing a Twitch stream every Friday. And so one of the videos we covered was... Kian suppo- supposedly breaking this story from a leaked document he received that argue- that he claims is evidence that COVID started back in October of 2019 rather than December of uh, 2019, right? So he thinks that this letter that he leaked, uh, that was leaked to him that they he made public, proves that the virus was too much early. Now, What the letter actually proves is apparently there was this military game. So Canada and a bunch of other countries sent uh, military athletes to Wuhan to participate in uh, an athletic competition between various countries. So Sweden was there. America was there. Canada was there. uh, China, obviously, it was in China. So China's military athletes were there. And they competed in this athletic competition. This was in October of 2019, and on the way home, some of the soldiers got sick. Now, Kian wants to say that the sickness that they had was uh, COVID or COVID related. But if you, so Kian, on the video that he released on YouTube, there's a soldier that they, <laughs> that they had to dub over their voice so that we don't know the gender of this soldier and we don't know what their voice sounds like. So they had like a voice actor read the script. And the soldier says that people on the plane were shitting and pissing themselves in the shower. (laughs) At the time, this was, you know, toward the tail end of the World Military Games. A whole bunch of athletes got really, really sick. Lung issues, coughing, vomiting, diarrhea. And I'm talking absolutely flat on their backs. Maybe you want to overdub this part, but, you know, we had guys locked in their showers just pissing and shitting themselves. Like, they were absolutely laid out and coughing, hacking of all the rest of it, the symptoms of very odd symptoms, depending on the person. I mean, I just love going over this story, because as we probably mentioned when we covered this the first time, is like, I don't know what uh, COVID symptom is the fact that people are just shitting and pissing themselves in the shower. And I'm sure if this, in fact, was a symptom of COVID, people would be a lot more willing to wear masks so they weren't just constantly pissing and shitting themselves. <laughs> 
Like there's there's an element in which like death is one thing, but like constant embarrassment as people piss and shit themselves would probably have uh, affected this uh, virus and people's willingness to comply to regulations. The reason why this is is relevant to the RCMP visiting Kian at his house is because Kian released out a tweet saying that he was going to release sensitive information. The sensitive information was this uh, letter that uh, Kian received indicating that the, that the government sent to troops, I think the, the letter was sent around January, just to say that some people think that this might be COVID. It likely wasn't. Don't worry. But if you're feeling sick, uh, if you get a test and you were positive, just let us know or whatever. Right. But the thing is, it was two months after the athletic competition by the time COVID was discovered. And so doing any tests at that point would be kind of useless. So the letter was just simply to tell soldiers that the, if you're worried, probably don't be, right? <laughs> okay. They're claiming that this is censorship because the RCMP came to his house. But if you listen to like the RCMP, if anything, it it shows the like privilege of someone like uh, Kian in this situation where it's like, how many people might do something that's like close to the line of legality and have the police show up and tell them where what's the appropriate channel to do something? Just wanted to let you know that uh, we reviewed the, the items that you had put out there, mm -hmm. and there's no issues with, with any of that, okay? Um, we're not worried about materials that's non-classified, okay? What it really comes down to, we've just been asked to come here, mm -hmm. just because of some of the, the nature of the text that it was sensitive material, potentially. Sure. We've been asked to come here just as a professional, friendly reminder. I know um, in a journalistic job, mm -hmm. you meet with people, sources exchange information i get all that yeah um it's just to be cognizant that if if you do come into sometimes a classified or sensitive material just be aware that that possession or acquisition or distribution could be a, uh, an offense mm -hmm. so i don't know if you're familiar, familiar with the soya security information act mm -hmm. um that's mainly what we'll deal with this um, i'm not an expert on it you can google it and it'll give you kind of a summary of what it is sure um and even kind of like a it'll help explain kind of what might be classified or sensitive so that's all. We're just doing our job. It was like they showed up at his house and were like, hey, if you have uh, leaked documents to you, here's the regulations in place about whether or not you're actually allowed to release these documents and where, where the legal line might be, just so you know that information in case you're going to release documents that are sensitive. That's all the RCMP said to him. And Kian takes this as like a moral affront and even says that he's like... But when they come to my home, where my partner lives, when they make them feel unsafe, that's a whole different ballgame. My partner asks me every single day to find a new job. Every day. But I can't quit because the job's not done. And if I don't do it, nobody else will. But that is what Trudeau is hoping for. In which I say, email Kian and tell him that he should listen to his partner, take his partner to heart. And if, if she's stressed out, maybe it's a good time for him to quit his job, you know? <laughs> God. But be polite, be nice about it, you know? You don't have to yell him into submission, just be like, Kian, we get it. It, it must be really hard, and uh, you should listen to your partner. But again, do you think that's censorship, the RCMP doing that? Who was censored? No. Now, they want to say that it's like intimidation or something. But even then, they were the nicest. Listen, I've seen some intimidating RCMP tactics. What they did was not uh, intimidation. I've never seen a Black Lives Matter activist treated with the same amount of respect. And lastly, while covering an anti-mask protest in Toronto, 
One of Rebel's camera crew was shoved by the police. Ooh. How is that? Um... Censorship? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's like, they're trying to say that they were targeted because they're media or something like this. That's still not censorship. I agree. But it's even worse because like they were in like a crowd that like engaged in a scuffle. I'm not supportive of the police generally and don't like how police treat protests generally, even if I disagree with these anti-mask people. So leave aside the fact of like whether or not the police should have engaged with this group in the way that they did. The rebel reporter was in the middle of these people as the scuffle began. And so, okay, they got shoved. Does that mean (laughs) that the police were targeting them? I mean, it's a question as well as like how visible uh, Rebels press passes and stuff were as well. But still, I'm I'm not totally worried about all this censorship. And again, so those are the four examples. I don't think any of them were censorship. But we're going to go into more detail about the second example, which is uh, very interesting. <laughs> so on Tuesday... Ezra goes into more detail about the Ontario Attorney General threatening Rebel with a lawsuit. The gist of the complaint is that Rebel, in advertising their Fight the Fines initiative, which is the idea that if you break a COVID restriction, uh, they're telling people not to pay those fines, but instead come to Rebel and Rebel will pay for lawyers to help you fight those fines. So in that initiative, they used a photo of an OPP officer as for to advertise the initiative. And this photo was obtained from an OPP website. The letter that was sent to Ezra from the Attorney General asked them to remove the image, citing it was not used with, the, with permission to promote the Fight the Fines campaign. Since it identified the officer, it is likely to result in targeted harassment to that officer. Ezra argues that it does not identify the officer since the head is cut out of the photo. But that also... Uh, he also says the name tag's blurred, but when you look at it, the name tag is like 100% not blurred. Like, I could clearly read the name. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know where he's getting this idea that somehow the name tag was blurred when I could read it completely right from the Rebel website. Ezra also continues to claim that this threat of litigation is against journalism. But I don't think it's journalism to solicit donations in order so that you can help people legally fight fines they received for violating pandemic restrictions during a global pandemic. That does not seem like journalism to me. I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, if anything, it's probably more activism than it is journalism, just not activism that I'm for. Exactly. But like, call it what it is. Like that to me is activism. It's not journalism. Yeah, for some sort of advocacy. So then it gets surreal. Ezra proceeds to call the lawyers involved in the threatening email and records the conversation to share with the listeners. Ezra's main focus is to get them to admit that the officer has not received any threats for having his image associated with the campaign. And Ezra complains that other journalists have used police images before in the reporting and have not been sued. Now, obviously, as we just pointed out, that is absurd in the sense that Of course, no attorney general is going to sue a news organization for using stock footage from an OPP website in their reporting, but they might sue them for using that image to promote a campaign. Yeah. That's not journalism when you start uh, going in that direction. He also complains that since the OPP used the image on their website in promotional material, it is therefore acceptable for him to use the image 
But again, he doesn't go on to say that he used the image for crowdfunding purposes. Ezra then asks a completely embarrassing question. Why are you being so mean? Is that like, actually did, a question that you want yeah, to like, answer? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As a, I couldn't believe that exchange happened. It was fucking, it was beautiful. Ezra then says he won't take the photo down unless the government apologize for, apologizes or the cop in question politely asks them to take it down. They responded uh, in a letter saying they refused. So now Ezra is threatening to sue them. And then on the show, so now like that's the recording's done. And on the show, Ezra gets animated. Now, I know like because of COVID, we stopped doing the listening back and forth thing, but I'm going to need you to hear this clip. When you mean animated, you mean like he gets like... Oh, you're going to hear it. Emotion, okay. But there's something much worse and much more gross here. And it should deeply shame Doug Ford if he had any shame. It's a kind of stolen valor. Do you know what I mean by the phrase stolen valor? Stolen valor is like what that liberal Harjit Sajan did, Trudeau's defense minister, when he lied and claimed that he was the architect of the master plan to destroy the Taliban in Afghanistan, but he wasn't. He exaggerated, he lied, he stole the credit for that from the real heroes who did that. Stolen valor. Stolen valor can be simple, like wearing a uniform you're not entitled to wear, or wearing medals that you didn't earn. Because those uniforms mean something, those medals mean something. Quite often they mean that someone was wounded, or someone who was in great danger but showed courage. They're the mark of heroes, and to fake that isn't just a lie, it's a counterfeit. It's stealing from the honor of the men who really did do those things. If there really was a cop who really was being harassed because of our use of this torso-only picture, I'd be shocked, I'd be skeptical, but if a real cop called me up and said it really happened, I'd be a man and I'd say, all right, I'll take it down right now. I'd take it down myself. But that's obviously not the case here. This photo has been up for nearly a year on our website, for years on the OPP website. Doug Ford's stupid lawyers only noticed now. It's just their lame, lying way to threaten us. We don't post this cop's face. We don't show his name other than the unreadable, blurred version. The lawyers say he's actually anonymous, which proves the point, doesn't it? And from the phone call and their passive-aggressive letters to me, it's pretty clear they haven't actually ever spoken with him. But they're using his status as a police officer to try to intimidate and threaten us. But it's false. They've never spoken to the guy. They've lied about him. That is a form of stolen valor. Doug Ford had his Justice Department lawyers and his OPP brass have several meetings about how to get us, how to threaten us, how to intimidate us, because he hates the fact that we're standing up to him with our fightthefines.com project. So they cooked up a scheme, and they used an anonymous cop as their weapon. They stole his valor to make the complaint against us in his name falsely, to make it seem real. They stole his valor because Doug Ford has no valor, has no honor, of his own and these two disgraceful 
Justice Department lawyers went along with the scheme. That is unethical. That is an abuse of process. That is an abuse of office. And so I say to you, Sean White and Jennifer Richards, you bring it on. You deceitful cheaters. You stole this officer's valor to make a false claim where there was none. You threatened me and my company with fake lawsuits because you have no real case. You are wicked people, and I will not bend the knee to you. You come, and you come and get me, and you preserve all your records, because if you dare to bring your abusive, vexatious lawsuits against me, stealing Officer X's valor because you have no case, if you dare to abuse taxpayers' dollars in the courts to silence our voice as journalists and to stop our public interest civil liberties lawsuits, well, get ready for the fight of your lives, not just us defending against your nuisance suits, but us suing you. That's right. Suing you for abusing your office. That's right. For violating your professional ethics. That's a real thing, unlike your fake lawsuit. And suing your corrupt bosses, too. You tell the clowns at the OPP brass in the premier's office, you tell them to preserve their records, too. All of their emails, all of their notes from their meetings. Because if I ever see you around here again, expect a lawsuit that turns the tables on your attempted shakedown of us. You know, Doug Ford is too stupid to know about it. But you, you, Sean and Jennifer, you must have learned in law school. A thuggish premier named Maurice Duplessis, he hated the Jehovah's Witnesses and kept having police arrest them and charge them with crimes. But there was this restaurant owner named Ron Corelli who kept posting their bail. And Duplessis was furious that this guy when a restaurant was getting in his way. So he ordered the province to cancel Ron Corelli's license for his restaurant. Ron Corelli sued. And it went all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada. And they ruled that thuggish premiers cannot be thugs. They cannot abuse their power for political reasons. You can't cancel a liquor license because you're a bigot against Jehovah's Witness and some guy's posting bail. You can't do that, especially if a guy's involved in civil liberties law. You can't do that, Doug Ford, you moron. So my message to you, Sean and Jennifer, is to tell Doug Ford and to tell Thomas Carrick of the OPP that if they dare to bring their stolen valor case against us, we will bring a Ron Corelli lawsuit against them. Not just you, against them. And like Ron Corelli, we will not stop until the Supreme Court hears this case. My friends, if you share my fury at this and do something positive about it, what are you going to do about it? I know what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to fight. What can you do about it? You can go to fightthefines.com. Clearly, Doug Ford hates it. I needed you to listen to that because, like, how did, how did you feel listening to that? Was that not the most insane thing you've heard on the show? <laughs> He's he's for sure a really good, you know, talking smack. Yeah, really. There was moments. There was moments like when he went fury, <laughs> but like, but at the same time, like as you were acknowledging, like it went on way too long. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a point where you lose steam and you're like, all right, Ezra, all right. Yeah. <laughs> the part that killed me. He's like, you want to fight? Bring it on. Like, <laughs> you know how fucking corny is that? <laughs> yeah. Or, or when, he, when, he, when he's like, 
And Doug Ford's too stupid. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's the part where he's like, if you want to fight, bring it on. It just that that part I was like, oh no. (laughs) It was I listened to that and I was just I I was killing myself laughing and I was like, yes, drama. (laughs) Oh my god. And he starts whispering. No, but we, we've acknowledged that in the past. Like, when he gets really angry, he goes down to the quiet register. Yeah. Just like, oh, oh, you don't even want to mess with me. I'm now in my quiet <laughs> register. <laughs> oh. The best part is it's so theatrical. <laughs> it's yeah. just so cinematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like he stole a bunch of lines from movies to do a bunch of stack talk against Doug Ford. <laughs> all all over because they were just like can you please just take down this stupid photo from your website that's all this is about a stupid fucking photo that they should not have posted on their website just take the fucking photo down what a oh it's so stupid oh man can you like please record that part where he's like if you want to fight no my plan is i i'm gonna play most most if not all of that clip like you have to no just record that section, yeah. and then anytime there's something juicy or we argue against him, just put it into our podcast. Now yeah. we want to fight. Bring, Bring it on! <laughs> Holy shit! He sounds like he's on Wrestling Mania. I love it. <laughs> and I do wonder how much of it is sincere, or whether or not he's playing this up for clicks. Oh, it's total just smack talk theatrics. Like it's it's not real. Come on, he went to law school. He can't be that silly and have gone to law school. <laughs> Which actually should lead us into our next point. So Ezra's engaged in another lawsuit. It's going to be complicated to break down. So I'm going to go through the specifics. But then I'm going to get you to analyze uh, whether or not you think it's going to succeed or not. Alrighty. So here it goes. Ezra is, su- is suing the province of Saskatchewan. prior to the pandemic patrick moore who we've talked about a ton of times on the show it's been on rebel a bunch of times he's someone who was the one of the co-founders of greenpeace before he left to become basically a corporate shill he promotes uh big oil monsanto you know if they're a large company that's doing damage to the environment patrick moore is probably there he was invited to speak at a sustainability conference that was planned by the city of Regina all the way back in February of 2020. He was then removed from the conference lineup after public outcry. And I don't know if you remember this because this was like a year ago, but then Ezra decided to re-platform Patrick. So he made it this huge thing. It was like, we're going to re-platform the de-platform. Uh, and so the idea was he was going to host Patrick Moore at a different uh, venue at the time when he was supposed to give the talk in Regina. And they were going to hold this event. But, of course, the pandemic happened. And so they had to postpone. And they postponed. And they postponed. And the reason why they got postponed is because, you know, during the pandemic, there's no one's going to allow them host a 1,000-person event during a global pandemic, right? Yeah. It went against the province's provinces pandemic restrictions. So now Ezra and Patrick are filing a legal complaint to the Supreme Court of Canada, claiming that the Saskatchewan law 
that prevents them from uh, hosting a talk at a venue. They argue that it's unconstitutional. The claim is that the Saskatchewan COVID restrictions violate Section 2 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, since not allowing this talk to take place in a venue during a pandemic violates their right to... uh, So they argue it violates the right to their freedom of expression, the freedom of the press, freedom of peaceful assembly, and freedom of association. Now, they focus on freedom of assembly, which I think is the right move to do, because I don't think the other things apply. Nothing about the freedom of expression says that you you should be allowed to express it in a venue of your choice, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And it's also not being prevented from expressing. It's just in location. Right. And it's also not freedom of the press because it's not like hosting a public talk is itself like journalism. Yeah. And it's also not freedom of association because it's not like there's like some club that's being prevented from forming. You know? Yeah. What's being prevented is having a bunch of people all come together with their right to peacefully assemble. Mm-hmm. So Ezra is aware that what is going to happen in this charter challenge is that it's going to come down to applying what's called the Oaks test. So I'm going to go into a bit of details of what the Oaks test is, uh, because I think it's important for Canadians to understand how their law functions. So for a brief outline of what is going on here, the Oaks test is a legal way of analyzing Section 1 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is uh, called the Limitation Clause, since it outlines when rights given under the Charter can be limited through legislation. This will become a bit more clear as I go through with some examples. The Oaks test came from a constitutional challenge by someone named David Oaks, who, oddly enough, was from London, Ontario, or at least was arrested in London, Ontario, in 1981 for possession of hashish oil and having $600 cash on hand that he received from government assistance. So I think he was on uh, workman's compensation back then. The police then used this as evidence that Oakes was engaged in drug trafficking, since the Narcotic Act at the time stated that the possession of a narcotic inferred an intention to traffic unless the accused established the absence of such an intention. So just think about how like insane that is, right? The possession of a narcotic inferred an intention to traffic unless the accused could establish the absence of such an intention. <laughs> like what a crazy burden that would be to try to defend, right? Yeah. Oakes claimed that this violated his charter right of, uh, which was under section 11 for a presumption of innocence, obviously, right? Which is that you should be presumed innocent, meaning that the law should prove that you had the intent to traffic, not the other way around. Right. Yeah. The court was unanimous in siding with Oaks. Right. And it resulted in a legal decision to help further clarify to what extent charter rights can be legally infringed. And in Oaks case, they decided that the law was not justified. So the Narcotics Act that are the part of the Narcotics Act that involved trafficking was not justified in infringing Oaks charter rights to the presumption of innocence. The Oaks test lays out a two step test to justify a limitation to a charter right. The first step is whether the objective is substantial. I will get into what that means when we give the example uh, of Ezra's current lawsuit. The second portion of that test is whether it is reasonable or demonstrably justified. This second step is what is called the proportionality test, and it is further broken down to 
the first part of this, which is the law must not be arbitrary. The second part is that it impairs the charter right as, as little as possible. And the third is what is more harmful, the action that's being legislated or the violation of the charter right. That is the Oaks test in determining whether you can limit the infringement of a charter right. So something like freedom of expression. And so now I'm going to give a classic example of how the Oaks test was used to allow for hate speech legislation. And this is obviously relevant to the fact that uh, all Ezra can constantly talk about is hate speech and censorship. So here we go. <laughs> the government applied the Oaks test in a case involving a man named James Kigstra, who was charged after spouting anti-Semitic conspiracy theories in his high school classroom in 1984. So he was a teacher, and to his high school students, he would spout a bunch of uh, Holocaust denial and other anti-Semitic shit. And he was charged for doing it under a hate speech law. So if you think about it, this law against hate speech clearly violated Keegstra's Section 2 charter right, which is the right to freedom of expression. But the court ruled, using the Oaks test, that the law was in fact constitutional citing that the law was rationally connected to its objective, which means it wasn't arbitrary. It was not overly limiting, meaning it's just targeting a specific set of speech, and it wasn't limiting speech generally. Yeah. So it impaired the charter right as little as possible, and they concluded that the seriousness of the violation, so the fact that your uh, right to freedom of expression has been limited, is not as bad as allowing people to spout anti-Semitic hate speech in the classroom. Yes. Right? So that's that's what they ruled. They came down to this is how the Oaks test gets applied to something. So now we're going to now we're going to go right back to this Saskatchewan constitutional challenge and see what's up. And we're going to see whether or not anything that Ezra says hold, holds water. Ezra thinks that their case will show that the Saskatchewan COVID restriction legislation will fail the Oaks test. And therefore, if they succeed, it will remove any of the lockdown legislation. What? And allow Patrick Moore's public talk to go forward. Now, here's the thing is, you automatically laugh, but I think there may be, may be a case that they can make. And I'm going to be as charitable to that as possible. Ezra's first argument is to claim that the first step fails. So that is whether the objective of the law is substantial. And the reason why he thinks that fails is because he believes that there is no current ongoing global pandemic crisis. Yeah. Which again, <laughs> so, so when I talked about the first step and I said, I'll get there shortly. So this is the, the first step, right? Something like a global pandemic is pretty substantial in my opinion. <laughs> so if you, if you want to have a law to prevent a global pandemic from spreading, which could cause the deaths of thousands of people, you can see why that would be substantial enough to violate one of your charter rights. Yes. As minimally as possible, but why that would be something that the law should be allowed to do, right? You don't want to completely uh, prevent the government the flexibility to deal with a global pandemic. Even if it is a crisis, Ezra says that they could easily hold the event with social distancing, wearing masks, and using hand sanitizer, thereby minimizing any harm. I still don't think that that would work <laughs> because I still think the global pandemic is, is substantial enough that you would even want to go further than all these other additional restrictions to preventing people from hanging out in a room for a long period of time and listen to somebody talk. Mm -hmm. 
I guess my question to you is, what is the likelihood that you think that they would succeed on this first part of the Oaks test? Well, I also think that it would have to show some sort of undue harm done to him for it to be considered substantial. You couldn't just say something is substantial because you disagree with <laughs> the opinion of a lockdown or the ruling of a lockdown. It would have to be like, this is a substantial case because it caused me harm to my reputation, harm to my psychological state, harm to, you know, me physically. It's not doing any of those things. I mean, that, that, that also gets into uh, the proportionality aspect of it as well. Is the violation of the charter right, your right to freely assemble, what's worse? <laughs> what's, you're like having that violated, but it, by having it violated, you've prevented a pandemic to spread? Or should you have the r- right to assemble, <laughs> even if it means that this pandemic spreads and like kills everyone? Like what's, you can ask the question of like, what is more substantial, which is that, yes. <laughs> Maybe this disease is so substantial that we don't mind minimizing your right uh, uh, to freely assemble. Maybe that can be minimized just a little bit during a global pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. So we already dealt with proportionality. So we got two more pieces. So the the next item in the Oaks test is, does the law impair this right as little as possible? I guess in the case of a global pandemic and you're wanting to stop the spread, does this law impair that right, your your right to freely assemble, as little as is possible? Yeah, well, I mean, it depends what you're talking about when you're saying the word assemble. Does it have to be a physical space to assemble? Why can't you assemble virtually with all the technology we have? I 100% agree with you. <laughs> I mean, that that's the one thing that I thought. Like, yes, in in the sense of physically assembling, this law does infringe on that right almost completely yeah but is that what that's really getting at or is it saying that like you can't be prevented from forming a group and being able to get together with that group to discuss ideas because like when i'm trying to think of how these things were put together it's to give people the ability to be critical and have freedom to criticize their government it's not it's not about i oh and it's also about physical spaces as well but it's more in the sense of discriminatory so like I can't en- enter a place because of, you know, who I am. Well, I think as well, I mean, there's, as far as I understand, now I'm not a legal scholar, but nowhere in the right to freely assemble, peaceably assemble, does it say where or where you cannot freely assemble? Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, am I guaranteed a right to freely assemble wherever I choose? In terms of like, can I just freely assemble at a private institution? Because I think Ezra, when people were freely assembling in a turkey farm, got really mad at that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so my my understanding of the law is, is, is that I, I don't think it guarantees like where you can freely assemble, but that you should have the right to do it. And so if if you're also able to freely assemble online to participate in viewing Patrick Moore's fucked up talk yeah then like you have you have that ability it hasn't been denied you you know (laughs) why does it need to take place inside of a private venue yeah it's more so about the venue part it has nothing to do with them actually getting together for this talk it would be a different story if it was like (laughs) like they were unable to assemble at all and they just didn't want the event to happen whatsoever but they're just saying you can't hold it at this physical location because of the lockdown 
Now, Patrick Moore comes on to uh, the second half of this episode, and his argument was, I have a book, and therefore I deserve to be listened to now. Why can't we do that in Regina, inside a huge auditorium? There's no good reason for it. So I believe that we should win this case and that I should be allowed to speak, especially now that I've made a book. <laughs> and then he goes, if I can't speak in public, how are people going to hear uh, the neat stuff I have to say? So many of these scare stories are about the future, which hasn't happened yet. In other words, they are speculation. And yet they are talked about as if the scientists know for sure what's going to happen in the year 2100 or something. So I, I really do believe that the 1,700 people who signed up to hear me speak would like to have that information, and they deserve to have it. He's like, if I can't speak in public, how are people going to hear this? And I'm like, how am I hearing this right now? <laughs> why, do, why do I need to assemble near people during a global pandemic to hear you say this stupid shit, Patrick Moore? Yeah. I was just thinking it's kind of interesting because I'm sure when these, like when the Charter of Rights and Freedom came into place and when a lot of these laws came into place, they didn't have as much technological advancements as we do today. So back then you would have probably been more barred from saying whatever you want and being able to get with a group. There probably would be more obstacles, but they are so skeptical of social media being this thing that controls and surveils everyone. And it is an, an impediment to freedom of speech. But if you really think about it, it's actually uh, proliferated freedom of speech and being able to get multiple opinions of voices out there, which is crazy because they're sitting there using some sort of media platform to explain their their ideas yet then complaining that they're getting being infringed on. That is crazy to me. It's like the people who go on Tucker Carlson, one of the most watched television programs in American television, yeah. which is a sad statement itself to be like, I'm being censored and no one can hear what I'm saying on the largest, <laughs> the most viewed television program in the United States, you know? Yeah. And I don't know, like, what the history of, I guess, people feeling like they've been censored throughout American and Canadian history, but like... I feel like it's just grown so much. Like people just use that line, whatever they want freely. Um, and it's crazy because they have more platforms and abilities and freedom to actually get out their opinions and voices than they ever had before. Yet at the same time, social media is like this evil. It's only evil because it prevents them from being able to say the N word. <laughs> like that's, that's what it comes down to. They're mad because if they say the N word on Twitter, they'll be kicked off of it. Or, or any extension of the N-word that you want to imagine, like them being transphobic or them being uh, just generally racially bigoted, you know? Those are the things yeah. that get them kicked off these platforms, and they feel that they should have the right to be bigoted pieces of shit. Yeah. But it's like, I'm sorry. No, you don't. Uh, yeah. I think Ezra would have only had a case if it was like his assembly was shut down, but someone else's wasn't. So... This is this gets into the question of arbitrariness. And this is the part where I agree with you. They might have a case here. I don't know if because of the other stuff we listed that they would automatically go like, no, get the fuck out of the court. <laughs> You're an idiot. Yeah. Or so so their argument here made a little bit more sense. And I don't know. I will pre preface this that I haven't been paying attention to Saskatchewan specifically. And they use an example that is not Saskatchewan specific. So I don't know 
if they have Saskatchewan examples of this. Yeah. But they argue that, for example, the NHL is allowed to play. They're allowed to go to the gyms. I just see in the newspapers today, there are two dozen film shoots going on in Toronto around the city. Obviously, if you've ever seen a movie production, there are 50, 100 people on set. So those things are open for recreation and celebrity entertainment. But when people want to gather to learn for political reasons, to hear your presentation, there is no flexibility, not even the same rule. All I would say is give us the same rules as the NHL gets. I just don't see the I just don't see the rule of law there, Dr. Moore. Well, it's all very arbitrary, Ezra. And that's because politicians these days are pretty darn arbitrary about the decisions that they're making. Mm -hmm. The NHL is still allowed to gather and perform their hockey sporting events. And in some cases, people can attend the events. But either way, you still have the hockey players themselves assembled on the rink. Okay. And it's like, are they essential? Not really. So, like, why is it that people like the NHL get an exemption, but they can't have their talk uh, with Patrick Moore? And that's where it's like, yes, if if what constitutes being essential is arbitrary, they might have a point here. Yeah. But I don't know in Saskatchewan whether or not that's going to hold up because I don't know specifically the Saskatchewan law that's going to uh, work here. And here's the thing is they only have standing in Saskatchewan if they have standing at all, because they had the talk in Saskatchewan that was being postponed. If they win their court case, what could happen is, so say say you're right, and the arbitrariness portion of it, they succeed. And it shows that the, the law is arbitrary, and therefore it doesn't pass the Yokes test, and the lockdowns get removed. Mm-hmm. The Saskatchewan government can clearly come in with a more even-handed law that doesn't uh isn't arbitrary right so they close down the nhl even though there's no nhl hockey team in saskatchewan but they they close down whatever the equivalent is and only have a, like a specific category that's clear and concise about what constitutes an essential service so like food yeah and if they craft that law it's no longer arbitrary and ezra still can't put on his uh his show you know, so so the thing is, like, in terms of money, too, they're going to be blowing like $100,000 on this case to fight to fight this constitutional challenge. And in the end, even if they win on that small line about whether or not it's arbitrary or not, Saskatchewan could just put a law in place that uh, remedies this fact, thus preventing them from putting on this fucking talk in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the whole thing's just kind of stupid. And I want to end with a final thought. Right as the pandemic hit, Ezra was complaining that Rebel might go under due to financial problems. Right before Christmas, Ezra made a claim that they were being forced to pay a loan that they received to pay their mortgage, and he needed his audience to bail them out or else they were going to lose their building. They have added multiple staff members since the summer, and they are in the middle of several legal challenges, including their Fight the Fines initiative the constitutional challenge over their third-party election violations, their lawsuit against Canada land, the constitutional challenge against Saskatchewan, and they're currently threatening the government of Ontario with a lawsuit. And I want to know, where are they getting all this money? Considering 
that they are constantly telling their audience that they're having money problems. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't have an answer to that question. I'm just saying something's fucked up here. And if there's any journalists who have connections and know how to investigate better, there seems like there's something to investigate here. nothing to add for a proactive segment we've been pretty busy and whatnot but uh, i guess what we can say is the the cases and deaths are now finally starting to trend downward and so i would say keep it up we're getting vaccinated it's good that numbers do go down so that we can prevent any more of these variants which seem to be worse and spread faster and hopefully we don't want a variant to come around that makes our vaccines useless. So continue to stay at home. Let these uh, numbers decline. And Caitlin and I will thank you. And so will the rest of the world when we can crawl from our dimly lit homes into the beautiful world outside. <laughs> and uh, get to see more than just the small... Uh, area around uh, our apartments where we could walk our dogs or uh, shovel snow. Was that poetic enough for a proactive segment? Yeah. <laughs> if you support and enjoy what you have heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News of the Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. And we'll be doing Twitch streams every Wednesday and Friday at 8 p.m. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. We will also post a link to the teaser episode that we did with Harbinger Media Network. That'll be in the show notes as well. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatom.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And can YouTube just censor Ezra already? He already complains that you're going to do it. So just get it over with, please. Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields? One second. Simone, piss off. <laughs> <laughs> she answered you. <laughs> well, yeah, I threw my coat beside her, so it startled her. She's eating some paper on the floor, so that's why I had to stop her.